Anyway, we'll be turning to Job 22. And yeah, good question though. We are just now over the halfway point. Uh, there's 42 chapters, so we got 21 chapters done, and we're starting on the last half. And I know Pam said it was, you know, toward the end is more of the good stuff. So we're not quite into some of the good stuff where God talks. And uh, and speaking of Pam, did you put up a new picture for us? This is uh, the Last Supper up here on the wall. So Pam and Sherry decorate our class, and they just do a great job. Uh, is that a different cross than what was up there? Or is that the same cross? It's the same one. It's the same one? Yes, it's olive wood. It came from... Is it? Really? Some friends of ours went over from the Lutheran huh. church. And yeah. Anybody's going over, we always help them out because we don't want to take the trip. Yeah. I'd like to see it. Yeah. Like see Israel. Yeah. But I don't want to go over there to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, when we were going, the pastor said. It's safer in Israel than it is in most parts of Chicago. <laughs> well, that, that's when there were, I mean, I guess there's still a lot of shootings in Chicago, so. No, that's just Kansas City. Yeah. Some, some parts of Kansas City, too, but. Uh, I'll draw your attention on your handout uh, to the top there. Under my thesis is just we can trust God even when suffering. And, of course, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. So he, uh, that's just kind of been my theme verse for suffering is just, you know, we can trust God through anything up to and including uh, death. And then this uh, Oswald Chambers, many of you, uh, he, he has a famous devotional book called uh, My Utmost for the Highest, I believe it's called. And I don't know if this is a quote from that or something else, but he says, Suffering is our heritage, or is the heritage of the bad, of the penitent, and of the Son of God. Each one ends in the cross. The bad thief is crucified, the penitent thief is crucified, and the Son of God is crucified. By these signs we know the widespread heritage of suffering. And so uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting look at the the two thieves on the cross as well as the Lord as we uh, talk about suffering. But today... Today is the last, uh, the last uh, recorded writings of Eliaphaz. This is one of Job's three friends, and this is his third and final uh, speech or uh, message to Job. And so, uh, Emmett, uh, we're glad you guys are back. By the way, you guys were visiting somewhere else last Sunday, weren't you? You were back to Lewisburg. For the something at the church, we went to hear a pastor from the Ukraine ah. that's related to the Ukrainians that live in Lewisburg. Oh, were they good? We brought over years ago. Huh? It was interesting. Yeah. One thing he said that really stuck in my mind was, if you can find a job, the government takes ten percent. If you work for the church, they take fifty percent. Wow. 
Well, they kind of discouraged the church. But the pastors are pretty free to cross the borders, you know. They can yeah. go anywhere. They can come to America and, huh. and drum up money or do whatever they want to do. Huh. But if you're military and you're unemployed at the moment or crippled or whatever, you can't cross the borders. Huh. They want you to stay, stay at home. <coughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's war. It is terrible. Um, well, read, read for us these first three verses of chapter 22. Answered and said, Can man be profitable unto God as he is had his wives might be profitable unto the seller? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou makest thy others perfect? Now, he's kind of. Uh, doing a little bit of mocking here, but <clears throat> let me just see what you guys think. Uh, how would you answer that question? Can a man be profitable unto God? Yes. I heard a no and a yes. What about the next thing he asks in uh, verse 3? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Well, that's the only way you can get righteous is through Him. So, yeah. There must be a reason for it. <clears throat> Pat, you were going to say something. What are you thinking? Uh, I, I just think it all points to Christ. Uh huh. So, I mean, you know, that's the only way we can be profitable or righteous. Okay. Well, good. Well, and for us. But basically, I mean, uh, Belinda, you're you're right in the sense. Eliphaz is saying, uh, Job, does your righteousness help God? Well, no, not really, but does he want you to live a righteous life? Well, yeah. He, I mean, that that is... And I've told people this before, and, and I, I know Royal, a week after I got saved, it was like, God didn't save you just so you could go to heaven. He wants to use you while you're here. I mean, isn't that true? We're to be conformed to the image of Christ, and I mean that. So, uh, if you if you look down at my teaching point, God does benefit from us serving Him. It brings Him glory. That that is our purpose. I think most people would agree. Just that we're here to get to bring God glory. So even though He's kind of mocking Job that. You know, Job's righteousness doesn't necessarily profit God, but God does care and He does want us to be righteous. So it's actually your second blank was glory. And look back at uh, one chapter back, Job 21.15. There it says, uh, What is the Almighty that we should serve Him, and what profit should we have if we pray unto Him? Uh, that, that's uh, 
uh, what, what I had you put in your first blank is this is kind of Satan's argument is like uh, that Job is only serving God because God is blessing him and and uh, uh, actually uh, Pam read verses 4 and 5 and I want to add something here Will he reprove me for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? Is not thy wickedness great? Iniquity is infinite. Yeah, so so this is their their prep their premise. The premise of their argument it is, Job, you you have suffered so much because you're so wicked. Uh, look with me. I didn't put this cross reference on your handout, but look at Acts twenty eight. This is. Uh, look at Acts twenty eight. And uh, I seen this cross reference this morning after I already printed these handouts. Uh, Twenty-eight four. Uh, Pat, would you would you read that? And when the barbarians saw that the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, and though he escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Yeah, so uh, they were... They were kind of shipwrecked on this island and they were picking up sticks to burn them and there was a, a snake in the sticks and when he threw it on the fire that the snake bit Paul and it was a venomous snake and so immediately the barbarians thought this guy's a murderer. He must have done something terrible because God sent this snake to bite him. Well, Paul just shook off the snake and no harm was done to him. Well, then they say, well, he must be a god. And so this is a little bit like Job's friends, like they're saying these terrible things have happened. So, Job, you must be this wicked person. So and that that's kind of that's kind of Satan's thought that if if God would take away all that Job has, well, then Job will curse him. Well, that didn't happen. And uh, so anyway, his friends are getting uh, kind of more and more, uh, you know, hyped up and, uh, you know, kind of saying their same argument in a different way. But uh, anyway, did everybody see that kind of? I mean, that was kind of the the barbarous people thought the same thing. It's like, oh man, this snake bit Paul. He must be a murderer. He got he got rescued from the shipwreck, but now he's going to die by a snake bite. Well, then nothing happened to him, and they're like, oh well, he must be a god then. He's got power over the snakes, and so anyway, they're they're almost more wise than than Job's friends. Yeah, because he was a murderer. <laughs> he, he was a murderer. But it wasn't God's judgment. The snake wasn't. So he was saved at that time. He was forgiven of those sins just like we are. 
Alright, verses uh, 6 through 9. Back to Job 22. Uh, Belinda, do you want to read those 6 through 9? For thou hast taken the pledge from thy brother for naught, and stripped the naked of their clothing. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink. Thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he had the oil, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Yeah. <clears throat> So these are pretty slanderous remarks. Job took a pledge from his brother and then stripped them naked of their clothing. So he didn't give the pledge back. And there is some things under the law. I know this is written before the law, but in the law it talks about returning the pledge. And one thing kind of interesting here, I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused, but... Job really doesn't defend himself. He, uh, he, he does, turn over a few pages to Job 31. It's a few chapters later. Job does say some things about his integrity, but I just thought this is kind of interesting that he doesn't really defend himself here. But Job 31:16 is where Job lists uh, 31:16. If I have withheld the poor from their desire, or if I have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or if I have eaten my morsel myself alone, and the fatherless hath not eaten thereof, for from my youth he was brought up with me as with a father, and I have guided her from my mother's womb. Uh, I'm going to read on down to uh, verse 22. Verse 19 says, If I have seen any perish for want of clothing or any poor without covering if his loins have not blessed me and if I were not warmed with the fleece of if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the grave then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade and mine arm be broken from the bone. So Job does say that I have taken care of the poor, the orphan, the widow. I have, you know, helped. And so, you know what, guys? This is, uh, um, you know, these these three men are Job's friends. And, you know, the Bible doesn't record for us, but, you know, I'll bet you he brought over uh, food to their homes when they were sick. I'll bet you he attended some of their kids' events. You know, I'll bet you he loaned them some animals or f- food if they. You know, Job was that kind of neighbor and friend, and so to have them now come against him after he has, you know, helped uh, it's just that much more hurtful, isn't it? Uh, I mean, many of us have friends that maybe we consider friends that have uh, done us wrong. But especially if you've helped someone and then they kind of turn around and do you wrong, it's just that much more hurtful, isn't it? And so uh, that that's kind of how it is with, with Job's friends. And so anyway, that section that Belinda read... Uh, is really slanderous, isn't it? Eliphaz is really slandering his friend Job, but none of it's really true. And uh, I gave you some things there. 
about it, he mentions breaking the arms of the orphan. Uh, what was that in verse nine? Saying that his arm would be broken. Yeah, but back in twenty. Fatherless. Yeah. That kind of stuck in my head a little, like uh-huh. you're already fatherless, and then you get your arm broken on top of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. At the end of verse nine, the arms of the fathers have been broken. Um, one of the things I was reading, I mean that that I don't think it's a. It could be taken literally, but maybe it could be that. But uh, arm really represents your strength, and uh, so anyway, they they would not be able to, you know. Feed or take care of themselves with their with their arms broken. So, anyway, kind of a horrific, pretty graphic statement there. All right. Well, let's let's go on to this next section, ten through twenty, uh, verse eleven and twelve. Or I'm sorry, ten and eleven, uh, Heather. Therefore, snares all around about thee, and sudden fear thee. For darkness that thou canst not see, and abundance of waters cover thee. Yeah. And so, again, these are judgments. Uh, he's saying that there's snares around you. There's sudden fears troubling you. You're in darkness. You can't see. And then this little uh, phrase, the abundance of waters covering thee, uh, I think that's a reference to the flood. He, he's like, he, you know, Job, you remember the flood just a few years back? Uh, you know, we we talked to people that knew people that went through the flood of, of Noah and uh, they were covered because they were wicked. That they were drowned in the flood. And so, uh, you know, Job and his friends lived not too many years after that. I, I should have brought my little timeline again because some of you haven't seen it. But I'll try to bring that next week. But anyway, um, that's a life as words to Job. And then... Uh, 12 through 14 uh, Matt or Marcia you want to read 12 through 14 Is not God in the height of heaven and behold the height of the stars how high they are and thou sayest how doth God know can he judge through the dark cloud thick clouds are in covering to him not he that he not that he seeth not and he walketh in the circuit of heaven yeah, thank you. So, you know, those first nine verses, there was a lot about Job's possessions and, you know, taking the pledge and the clothes. But now, now Eliphaz talks more about spiritual things. And uh, this is a little bit of a mystery to me. But uh, the Bible talks often about God uh, coming in the clouds. Uh, he, he's this thing about Him being in the heights of heaven and in in these dark clouds. And uh, some of the book I'm reading from Jeff Adams to, to, for this material, uh, he, he quotes articles from papers that where scientists talk about uh, dark matter. And they're saying that at least 90% of the night sky is dark. 
uh, and they're calling it dark matter and it's made up of something the, the things that are kind of the backdrop of the stars is dark and uh, anyway uh, you know he, he likens that to the deep the Bible talks about the deep uh, not only the oceans being like the deep but also because the Bible says the deep answereth to the deep and talking about there's, that there's waters above the heavens and so anyway the, these verses that Pam, uh, Pam that uh, Marcy just read about the abode of God being in the height uh, of heaven and in the dark cloud and that the clouds are covering him and then it says he walks in the circuit of heaven and uh, that, that's even a wild thought about there being circuits. I mean, you know, if you see diagrams of our solar system and how the planets rotate around the sun, I mean, there's circuits and paths that they travel and the constellations are in the night sky just like they have been for thousands of years. And maybe there's a little ship, but there's, there's a pattern, there's circuits, there's... Uh, and uh, and then the, and then so the thing that the blank at the bottom of your page there was just the word way. That, that's what a circuit is, whether it be electrical circuit. Uh, Matt here is uh, electrician and has done a lot of electrical work, and that that's what they. I mean, we in our breaker panels we have circuit circuit breakers. We have circuit breakers. They're they're called that. And on the uh, you know circuit boards of computers, they're called circuit boards because there's paths or routes that electricity the amperage travels. And uh, there's a way. Uh, let's all look at Psalm 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 19, not not 119, but just Psalm 19. It's the next book over to the right, Job Psalms. And uh, chapter nineteen of Psalm, and I'll just read these first six verses with with you. And this is really a marvelous passage. Psalm nineteen, verse one: The heavens declare the glory of God. Excuse me, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night into night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, so that there's a line, is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. To them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. And then listen to this, verse 6. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Wow, that, that's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, I'm sure we could talk a long time even about this chapter but it talks about that the day and night they're they're uttering speech and there's no language where uh, their word is not heard uh, and then this son it has a tabernacle and it's like a bridegroom and 
in Malachi, Jesus Christ is called the Son, S-U-N. And so this uh, Son is a picture of Jesus Christ, and it's like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. And, uh, of course, the church is called the Bride of Christ. And sometimes uh, we, we, we believe that the moon is a picture of the church because it has no light of its own. It, it just reflects the light of the sun. And, uh, of course, the moon has a dark side. We all have a, a past. And, uh, anyway, the, the moon is just a, a dead rock that reflects the light of the sun. And, and uh, it, it's only really visible mostly during the night. And sometimes you see the moon in the daytime, and we think that's a picture of like the millennium, when the church will be present in the millennium. So anyway, just a lot of beautiful things there. But uh, I got several verses from Isaiah. And I had uh, Jeff Adams' book has even more verses, and those are all where you know God covers Himself with the clouds, He does dwell in the height of heaven, and He does uh, walk in this circuit of heaven. And then the, the next, uh, the next, he, he references that there's some wicked people that uh, travel that same circuit. It's a reference to the fallen angels. So let, let's read on here. Uh, 15 and 16. Uh, Angie, you want to read 15 and 16? Of 22? Yeah. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, which will cut down out of time whose foundation was overflown with a flood? Yeah. So there's Job. Uh, he's basic. He's basically saying that Job is like those wicked people who perished with the flood. But it says they they also traveled that old way. And I think I had you put flood in your. Uh, th- this for sure is a reference to the uh, flood of Noah, and it was. And so he. Uh, we think that the wicked men that uh, were cut down and was flown over by the flood are those fallen angels, those sons of God that were destroyed in the flood of Noah. And uh, Eliphaz is saying, Job, you're just like that. You're, you're wicked and you're getting ready to be have an abundance of water come over you and flood you like that. So these, these are pretty heavy things. Uh, any other comments? Oh, isn't it saying that um, there's angels that are locked up like under the Euphrates River and that when they rise up, they're going to be released? Now, I think you're connecting two different things there, but uh, yeah, there there is some prophecy about the Euphrates River being dried up for sure, and there's there is a reference in Revelation to uh, a 200 million uh, man army from the east that cross over the Euphrates on dry land, and uh, we we think that to be China because I think it was in the late 80s they announced that they had 200 million in their army. And so that matches up with Revelation. Uh, but as far as those fallen angels that are reserved unto judgment, uh, they shall be released in the tribulation period. I don't know if it's connected with the Euphrates or not, but yeah, you're, you're right. They are bound in chains of darkness and reserved unto judgment. And, uh, that is, 
when, when we get to uh, Job 38, it's when I want to. I want to really. We'll probably take an extra week on Job 38 and talk about the sons of God because I know uh, we talked about that. Because there's really only four times in the Old Testament the sons of God are mentioned. Uh, one is uh, in uh, Genesis 6 with the flood. And then uh, two of them are in Job, Job 1 and Job 2. I'm trying to think where the fourth is at right now. Uh, it's not coming to me. But anyway, we'll see that... Uh, that uh, not only is Jesus Christ called the Son of God, Adam was called the Son of God. And uh, uh, as many as receive Him are called the sons of God. So when we get saved, uh, we, we become the sons of God as well. And so uh, uh, many, many think that, that uh, we, we take the place of those sons of God that fell. The uh, if if the devil took a third of the angels with him when he fell, and they were called sons of God, and when we get say we're the sons of God, maybe we're making up those sons of God that fell, so that uh, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, uh, Christ will come. So anyway, again, we'll talk about all that at Job thirty-eight, but that's that's good. Good question. Good thought. Uh, Seventeen and eighteen, Suzanne. Which said unto God, Depart from us, what can the Almighty do do for them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Yes, he's implying that Job said, God, I want you to depart from me. Just like the people before the flood, their thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Uh, basically, they were saying, God, depart from us. We want nothing to do with you. He's implying that Job is saying that as well. And he's kind of, if you go back to Job 21, uh, right there before that, it says the same thing. It, uh, Job says that that's what the wicked say. Therefore, they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. And so Eliphaz is saying, Job, you're that person. You're that wicked person that says that. And, of course, again, this is just very slanderous. And uh, in in Romans 1, I don't know if we... We don't need to go there necessarily, but that's where uh, people were given over to a reprobate heart. They uh, they they began worshiping the, the creature more than the creator. And so, in essence, uh, they're they're given over to this reprobate mind. And uh, there's a good definition in Romans one of, of it says all unrighteousness. It lists like 22 things that are unrighteous. So uh, I gave you a reference there to Romans one. All right, verses 19 and 20. Emmett, we're back to you, brother. Mm-hmm. The righteous see it. And I'm glad, and the innocent by Abraham is gone. Whereas our substance is not cut down, and the land of the heart and the Yeah, so. Uh... 
Eliphaz is talking about him and his two friends, and they consider themselves righteous and innocent, and they're in a way they're being glad that Job is being punished. It says the righteous see it and are glad, the innocent laugh them to scorn. And then in verse twenty, I never saw this till this morning, so I didn't put it in your handout, but. It, it makes re- re- reference to this remnant in verse 20, this uh, remnant. And, uh, you know, God always has a righteous remnant, but here, Eliphaz uh, is basically saying that uh, our, our substance, me and my two friends, we didn't lose all of our kids and all of our land and all of our property, but the remnant, you, Job, uh, the fire consumed you, and remember, fire came down from heaven and consumed some of his stuff. And so, uh, anyway, but I thought it was neat that he called him the remnant because that's a picture of the Jew in the tribulation period, right there. Uh, many times in in Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, the remnant of the Jews are those that flee to the wilderness. They're the, they're nourished for three and a half years, and uh, they're they're saved. Uh, they are redeemed at the Valley of Armageddon. This remnant. So, anyway, I just that was just kind of a light bulb for me this morning. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. His friends calling him a remnant, uh, but just the opposite is going to happen. The remnant is what gets saved. And uh, anyway, that's kind of cool. I thought. Hopefully, everybody's tracking with me. My teaching point for this is. Eliaphaz has good medicine. He's just giving it to the wrong patient. So that <laughs> I heard that somewhere. I thought, well, that's pretty good. So you got some good medicine, Eliaphaz, but Job is not the right patient to give it to. So all right, well, this last section uh, he prophesied some other falsehood, and verse twenty-one is one that I've memorized, and this is a true statement, but. Again, he's given it to the wrong person, but uh, Pam, just read that for us if you would. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, whereby good shall come unto thee. Yeah, acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace, uh, thereby good shall come unto thee. Uh, I just love that verse. Uh, that and what what is he saying there, Pam? I mean, what's the truth that we can take away from that? Well, if you know God, yeah, and are at peace with Him, then good shall come to you. Yeah, 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 <coughs> yeah. truth there acquaint thyself with him and be at peace so 
you, you know, I, I really believe that that is the acid test for salvation. And uh, I, I've told this story, to, uh, maybe you remember, so forgive me if I tell it again, but when we were in uh, Belarus, Russia, and, and we were going down the streets and knocking on doors and witnessing, you know, we had our translator and... Uh, so it's me, me and Mike, uh, and this lady translator, and uh, we're we noticed that there's a like a white panel van, and there's a guy laying under it working. And I'm like, Mike, let's go witness to this guy. And so we go and witness, and uh, uh, sure enough, it was a big Russian guy. He gets out of there with his coveralls on, you know, mechanic guy. And, uh, you know, we're trying to share our faith with him and, and, uh, he goes, uh, you know, he's kind of waving us off like, no. And he told our translator that his priest told him, told their church not to talk to people like us. And, uh, and I, I remember, uh, you know, looking him in the eye and he's, he's, he's at least six inches taller. I'm looking up at him. And uh, his name is Dimitri. I said, you know, Dimitri, do you have peace in your heart? And he, he we met eyes, and he just kind of hung his head uh, when our translator asked him if he had peace. He goes, knit. And it, it was just the most honest moment, and I thought, wow. To me, that that is the test. If, you know, we say that joy is not circumstantial on what's going on in our lives. You know, you, you can have a lot of bad things happen to you, but you can go to bed at night and pull the covers up around your neck. You can be at peace even though the world is at war, right? And that is, you know, the, the hope and the faith we have in the Lord. And and that's what he's saying. You know, Job, acquaint, get acquainted with God and you can have peace. I mean, that, that's a true statement. When, when you know God, because he's the Prince of Peace, Christ is the Prince of Peace, and he he says in uh, John fourteen or sixteen, where I, the peace I give you is not as the world give give I unto you. He, he gives us peace that passeth understanding. Philippians said. I mean, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Pat, you know Craig Lauterbach, but that was his verse for a year of his life. The peace of passes understanding of Philippians uh, four six, I believe. Because uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the rest of it. Yeah, yeah the peace of passes understanding will keep our hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Uh, anyway, I just love that verse. Uh, I almost put that verse as my theme verse, but uh, this other one about though he slay me yet will I trust him was the one I went with. But anyway, so Eliphaz is basically saying that you're unacquainted with God. That's what I had you put in your blank there. But uh, I just I really love that. And this, I put this is true of the Jew in the tribulation period. Uh, they realize that they crucified their Messiah, and now they get acquainted with Him, and and He's going to protect them uh, when they get acquainted with the true Messiah. And so, uh, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. I forget. Is it uh, Pat or? Yeah. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return unto the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou mm. shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Mm-hmm. So that that's so rich as well. 
um, in the middle of 23, I mean, th- these are true of the Jew in the tribulation period as well, uh, to lay up words in your heart uh, and return to the Almighty. Uh, thou shalt be built up. You, you remember part of uh, Jeremiah's uh, calling as a prophet to Israel. It said to, to pluck up and pull down and break out, and but then it was to to build up and to plant. And so, uh, a lot of times that happens, doesn't? That sometimes, you know, you have to be tested. You have to go through some stuff. You have to be broken down. And we even say that that you know. God, the Bible says that God saveth those that are of a broken and contrite heart, but uh, that's when He does save you and seal you and begin to build you up, and that—that's what the word edifying means. We're, that, that's why we come to church is to be edified and be built up in our faith. And so, so Eliphaz is saying some uh, true things here that uh, all of us can benefit from to uh, receive God's word. And you know, uh, at the coming, you know, Hosea prophesies of a famine in the land, and it's not a famine of the word of God; it's a famine of hearing the word of God. And you know. Uh, Rather it be our, our cell phones. There's so many distractions today. It's it's really hard to just block out that devotion time or prayer time to hear the word of God. And uh, you know, I feel like I've had just a little bit of a difficult week. And we had uh, a meeting at our house last night, and I put a lot of effort. But this morning, I woke up just kind of refreshed, and I you know read the word. It was just good to like. It was like uh, fresh this morning. I, I, don't know if, I think hopefully you all know what I'm talking about, but it's just we're like, oh, I see that, and this is real, and thank you, Lord, and thank you for sharing that and giving me that. And so, anyway, sometimes we got to be kind of broken down and disassembled before He can uh, build us up. And so, I like that verse 21 that Pat read. All right, uh, verse 24, uh, Belinda, just that one verse, if you would. And you shall down lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stone of the earth. So even, even back in Job, it talks about this uh, gold of Ophir. I don't know if that's... Am I saying that right? It sounds funny when I say it. Ophir. The P... Is it got a... Yeah, P-H is an F... Uh, look at my cross reference there. Let's all look at that. The first Kings 10. Uh, has anybody ever heard of the gold of Ophar? Uh, yeah, well, I don't think I do either, but it's almost like a biblical treasure map because scholars, some of them think it's in India, some of them are thinking uh, Africa, and so there, there is, there is no uh, accurate uh, historical uh, uh, geographical location. But look at First Kings ten, and uh, Belinda, I'll have you read verse eleven there, because Solomon talks about the same thing. And the navy also of Haram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir, great and plenty 
Yeah, I guess precious stones are there as well. Uh, uh, so yeah, even even in uh, King Solomon's day, so this would have been about a thousand years after Job. There's actually ships hauling gold to Jerusalem from Ophir, and this this navy of Hiram, uh, I think he is from Syria or Lebanon. He's kind of friends with Israel and with Solomon. And uh, he's bringing in gold from there. But anyway, this is this, this. I think it's even mentioned one other place in the book of Job, this gold of Ophir. What, are you Googling it? Yeah, Google says, it says, unidentified region famous in the Old Testament times for its fine gold. The ge- geographic list of Genesis 10 apparently places it in Arabia. Okay. But in the times of Solomon, 920 B.C., Ophir was thought as being overseas. Gold or aldum, wood, sandalwood, ivory, monkeys, etc. Uh-huh. Yeah. Alternative loca- uh, locations overseas also places in Africa, East Africa and India. Yeah. Yeah, I heard those. I didn't Google it this time. I have Googled it before. It's just really interesting to, you know, you kind of marvel at that. I don't know if I ever told this group. I think I have. Uh, I think it was on our honeymoon. Angie lived in Florida before we married. So when we got married in North Missouri, we drove my brother's pickup to Jacksonville, Florida to pick up uh, all of her possession. We hauled them in the back of our pickup home from Florida. But while we were there, we went to uh, St. Augustine. Of course, this was before Google. And they have uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. And you've, you've heard of that. I think it's still a few of you know those buildings around that. Brandon has one. Yeah, and we've been to that one. And uh, but anyway, and that one in uh, uh, was St. Augustine. It's it's one of the oldest towns in the United States, St. Augustine. Uh, but in there, there's a little placard, and, and I promise you, because I looked at it twice. You know, this Ripley's Believe It or Not, it said the gold the gold accumulated by King David and Solomon was equivalent to seven trillion dollars in today's monetary standards. So I mean it's hard to picture I mean at the time seven trillion dollars would have paid off our national debt. I think we're up to thirty one or two trillion now. But Nevertheless, that's a that's a pile of pile of money there. So we just can't picture because even Solomon says that they stopped counting the silver. There was so much silver, they just stopped counting it. They didn't, uh, you know, they were just overlaying everything with gold of the the temple and the tabernacle and Solomon's porch and his uh, palace in the forest. It's called and the place of judgment. And anyway, it's just really uh, marvelous to consider. Uh, they were hauling it in by the boatloads right there that we read in First Kings. So, anyway, this gold of Ophir, I wanted to discuss it a little bit. And uh, basically, Eliphaz is saying there that you can lay, you can lay up gold as dust. That you could be so rich, uh, Job, if you just turn your life over to the Lord and get acquainted with Him. Uh, Verse uh, 25 says, uh, back to Job 22:25, Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. 
So it talks about silver there as well. And that was one thing I was... Uh, Job really talks more about his relationship with the Lord than he does the physical things. I mean, we we like to collect our toys, but uh, Job is more concerned about his relationship with the Lord. And then uh, verse 26 and 7, uh, is that you, Heather? For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt not make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee, and thou shalt pay thee, pay thy vows. Mm-hmm. Now, basically, he's saying, you know, if you do this, Job, God will answer your prayers. And uh, let's all look at this First John. Uh, we've got about ten more minutes. Let's look clear over at the end of our Bible, right before Revelation. We see First, Second, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. Look, look at First John five, and uh, I'm sure everybody's got. Uh, their own thoughts of how this applies but uh, Rosie do you want to read that one Go ahead, uh, uh, sure sure First John 5 14 and 15 and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he heareth us and if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him I mean this is a beautiful promise about if we ask we we can be confident when we ask anything if it's the will of God that he hears us and Whatsoever we ask, we know that uh, we'll have our petition that we desire of Him. Now, how do you interpret that, or what would you say of those verses? I was going to say on that Genesis saying that Kimberly worked at the Bible says uh, we ask in prayer of God, uh, we can take our prayers to God. Mm-hmm. I'm making sense right now. That's all right. Uh, but He doesn't always, you know, even though you pray for something, you don't always get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It isn't that He doesn't hear you, but it, sometimes His answer is no. Yeah. And we can say, oh, God, please give me a brand new car. Uh huh. Okay. Maybe yeah. It feels like right now you don't need that new car. Yeah, yeah. You need to suffer a little bit. To, I know yeah. in my case, I did. I need to really try for something mm. to make me really uh, appreciate it. And specifically yeah. with your car, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now I need to really. It took about a year, but you did get the desires of your heart in that way, didn't you? Yeah. And, and now I really take care of my little hamster car. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I really appreciate it. I think you do. I believe you. You know, uh, so, you know, I think in a lot of mm-hmm. the parts of Bible, he says, you know, you can ask for something, that don't mean you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what else are you guys thinking? Matt? Oh. <laughs> petition. Okay. Yeah. Sign a petition and it may go through or may not. Uh huh. Yeah. 
and, and so yeah, God's answers. I think in our disciples, we have a discipleship lesson on prayer, and it, His answer is is either yes, no, or not yet. Yeah. We, we don't say maybe, but sometimes there is a delay. Yeah. God's will would be for you to have a car so you could get to work. I mean, it's a necessity you have. Yeah. But you did have to wait, and it was a. He wanted me to work for. Uh huh. You know, not just financially, but uh-huh. emotionally and. Yeah. I appreciate what I got. Because uh-huh. sometimes I think we get things and we don't appreciate it. Uh, for sure. One of Charles Stanley's, uh, oh, one of the sermons, he talks about that getting a car they wanted. He wrecked his car and his car he really, really wanted. And he said he asked God for if he should get it or not. And you now he felt that he should wait. And he waited and he got an even better car. Ah. Uh, one of the sermons. Huh. That's good. That's good. To what he said there, you know, because I thought about going into... like, in relationships as, you know, uh-huh. and people are dating or whatever, you just don't... I was like a chicken on a dune bug right now. <laughs> you just don't jump on... You have to wait for the right person. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, I mean that, that is Job here. Job has been praying, and you know, God, why and where are you, and why am I going through this? But he had, he had to wait, didn't he? And we we don't know how long. We think weeks or months, and uh, but. That, that's why the Bible says that tribulation worketh patience. And John 5 says that Job, the patience of Job, that he, uh, he, he, he came through. He, he maybe wasn't patient, but he, he gained patience through all this. And, and so do we. So now, anyway, that, a life as is words, uh, are true, but they don't necessarily apply to Job. But he, he's saying that, uh, you know, make your prayer to him, and he will hear thee. And but uh, you got to get acquainted. It's got to be according to his will. I think that's kind of the key thing there in First John, because sometimes we do ask for things that are not not his will, and so God God does say, "What's his will? To be saved and to be sanctified and conformed to his image, for sure." Yeah. So you think that's what you think that's what he was doing there to Joe in all of his struggles and teaching him patience and all the things that he taught him. Conform. That's good. Yeah. I mean, from that verse you read. Yeah. Kind of. It does. Well, and it's like your kids. If you give them everything they ask for, they're going to be spoiled and not uh-huh. appreciate anything. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah, and we would be the same way. Can you imagine in our in our world if everybody got everything they wanted? Yeah. I mean, what kind of? Yeah. I say that, Steve. Of course, jokes in the Old Testament. So yeah. It sounds like well, how would he be conformed to the image? Christ, Christ had no yeah. hiding those, but he, he is a picture of Christ. Yeah, he is a picture of Christ. So, in, in foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's very good, Pat. Look at how many people probably say and pray for them to win the lotteries and stuff. Uh-huh. And yeah. you say, oh, well, it, you know. But they say most people win the lottery are worse off three years or yeah, one, one year from when they won. Huh. But it's back to what Pat was saying is be ye holy, for I am holy. Mm-hmm. By the set apart. And. Yep, yep. Well, this uh, verse 29. Uh, 
God's people that are cast down will one be one day be lifted up. Uh, where were we at? Were we, Angie? Would you read twenty nine? When men are cast down, then thou shalt say there is lifting up, and he shall save the humble person. Yeah. So there there are a couple places where you know. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will exalt us. And so, yeah, it looks like right now Job is cast down, but he will be lifted up, and he has uh, uh, will humble himself. And so, the, these are these are true things that uh, that life as is talking about. And then uh, Suzanne, do verse thirty, if you would. He shall deliver the island of the innocent. And it, and, it, and it is delivered by the pure, pureness of thy hand. Yes, yeah, so I had you put island in your blank. And I, uh, we talked about this a little bit Friday night in our men's group. Just it, it compares the innocent to an island. You know, there's a there's a lot of darkness around us, and even as Christians, you know, we're not the majority in the workplace, and. You know, one of the guys that Jim Stovall is writing to in jail or uh, prison over at Algoa in Jeff City is uh, he's getting beat up by the Muslims in in the jail, and they're taking his Bible and they're tearing out pages. I mean, uh, the innocent are an island these days, aren't they? Yeah. And if you have a pureness of heart, uh, that's what it says there: uh, pureness of hands. But it says that, that God's going to deliver. Uh, the island of the innocent and uh, this delivered by the pureness of his hands so anyway that that's who we need to be and uh, d- does anybody in here know what the name the word satan means evil isn't it? It's supposed to stand for evil evil you're close is that uh... I think I'm right in this. Uh, yeah, I may, uh, this one I had you put in your last blank. It's uh, the accuser of the brethren. The, the Satan means accuser. So I, I look at uh, I look at Eliphaz that way here. These men are being used by Satan because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, and it, in Revelation it says that he does that day and night. So anyway, that's pretty pretty wild thing here that of course that's that's what happened to our our lord jesus christ he was falsely accused and had false witnesses and they finally got two to agree that uh he said well this deceiver uh said he would destroy the temple and raise it up again in three days and so anyway uh, let, let's hold up there. We'll let out a few minutes early if, if you need to help with the chili. If you can uh, stay after and help me tear down the chairs, <coughs> Matt Lewis. <laughs> yes, you did. So now you're forever locked in. To I think we'll just tear down the middle section and so uh nine yep nine, yeah, nine rows of eleven yep you got it well let's uh close in prayer and thank you for joining us uh, on uh facebook today uh Dottie and I'm going to shut this off. 
Pat, I'll have you uh, close us in prayer if you would. Okay.